You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. I'm the host of the Flip Maffler podcast. And as always, every Tuesday and sometimes even on Thursday, we actually have somebody come and do a takeover, which honestly gives me more time to do what I need to do in my life. But it also creates great content on the podcast. So this time, a good friend of mine, really, really a good friend of mine, Ted Wynn, he has a passion for the heroes in healthcare business. And we all know how the healthcare business has been impacted over the last years. And he, he started a podcast right in the middle of it. So Ted, tell us what this podcast series is all about that, and who do you interview in that? Sure. Well, thanks, Andrew, first. And second, thanks for having me here. Yeah, you know, our tagline is dedicated to highlighting bold, selfless professionals in the healthcare industry who are focusing on transforming lives in their communities. And we just thought with the COVID, fact, COVID um, pandemic that we're all living through and still continuing to go through that these people and their stories just wasn't, wasn't being told or needed to be highlighted more. And so we just took it on as a, a bit of a passion project and said, let's start talking about these people and what they're doing. And uh, as a result, it's taken off. We have, uh, we are just finished episode 10. Ah, congrats. Thanks. And we have uh, last numbers I checked were about 1700 downloads already. That is awesome. So the podcast is called Heroes of Healthcare. Yep, and uh, yeah, and and uh, we are going to have links to your podcast here. So if people want to continue listening to it after even after the series is done, they can go check it out. We'll obviously write a blog and all those things. Share some of the people you're interviewing so we get a taste of it. Yeah. So yeah, and they can they can listen on the Heroes of Healthcare Podcast dot com website. So we have a whole website with the episodes posted there. Spotify, Apple, all the regular places as well. But yeah, we've been really fortunate. Um, we have uh, uh, Dr. Mark Knapp. He was a chief marketing, uh, excuse me, chief medical officer for Mount Sinai in New York City, who gave us a whole impact of how New York City responded to the pandemic and, and the stress on the people. We had the chief medical officer for Navant, massive healthcare system in the North Carolina and Southeastern market, talking all about vaccine safety of mRNA and the vaccine that's been coming out. And then we like to mix it up a little bit. We had an old-time friend of mine, Jack Curry, who is the voice of the New York Yankees, come on and talk all about baseball and how baseball was dealing with the COVID pandemic, but also how baseball was giving us some normalcy in our lives. Because one of the things we also want to focus on is not just the physicality of, of of the healthcare system, but also mental health. So we've also had the chief wellness officer from another major healthcare system talking about physician burnout, dealing with all the different clinicians and how are they dealing with the medical stress that they're under, under these uncertain times. So it's been very exciting and it's been, uh, we've had such a cross section of people. I think the listeners are going to find something in uh, great out of each one of them. Awesome, man. Ted, so, so everybody listening, you might be listening to the first episode you might be listening to the 10th takeover episode of this series. So just make sure you you look back and see if you have missed anything. But each one of them uh, is something that I feel, Ted, you being so passionate about it, 
is going to bring life to a lot of people as they hear it. So Ted, again, thanks for doing this. And everybody, enjoy the show. We're excited to get this new series launched. And we thought no better fitting way than to have my personal hero join us, who is also involved with the healthcare industry. And that was my dad. So welcome to the show, dad. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'm Ted Jr. This is Ted Sr. And we want to get into trying to understand. So tell me and tell the listeners, what year were you born? 1929. There was a pretty big event that year. (laughs) Yes, there was. I was born that year. You were born that year. (laughs) So that was a good first event. And what else happened that year? 1929? Well, the depression started, right? Yeah. It was the year the stock market crashed, Right. right? Right. So it's funny because we were talking last weekend about all the different things you've seen throughout your lifetime, being the young age of 91, that you got to see World War II, right? right? Korea, Vietnam, Man on the Moon, Man on the Moon, uh, Twin Towers, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A pandemic now. So all of it. (laughs) Yeah. And now uh, uh, another another election you've got to go through too now, right? At the timing of the recording of this. Yeah. This was an exciting one. Yeah. Yeah. So. I know that your healthcare relationship is you spend many years being a pharmacist or working in a pharmacy. Yes. So when was your first job at a pharmacy and where was that and when was that? Well, not to be long-winded, I went with a friend of mine to pick up his mother's prescription at a pharmacy. I guess I can mention the name now, Renneman's Pharmacy. And while we were there, the pharmacist looked at me and said, do you still want that job? Which I had no clue over, but I said, yes, <laughs> whatever it was. So he said, come in the back and he interviewed me and I got the job. I worked Monday, Wednesday and Friday from three to six and got 33 cents an hour. Wow. And so that, and that was well, in- the minimum wage was 50 cents, but they put me down as an apprentice so they could pay me less. Okay. So they paid me 33 cents an hour. And on Saturday, I worked nine to six and I got another $3. So I had $6 a week salary. And you were how old then? 14 and a half. Six bucks back then was pretty good. That was my tuition at St. Agnes High School. I studied in high school right around the corner so I could be at the drugstore in minutes. So that's how I could work from three to six. Okay. Back then, my sense is, and my view of that was that it always takes me back to It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. And he was the young man working with old man Gower in the pharmacy. Right. I was even more fortunate because we had a big back room in the pharmacy with two easy chairs where a lot of the professional people in town would congregate at times. So it was very interesting as a young boy to be with doctors and lawyers and insurance salesmen and uh, even the mailmen and everybody. Just as an aside, we had a drug sign at the outside of the store. All it said was drugs. And we had a laundry in town, which Charlie Stribe used to pick up your laundry and wash it and all, and bring it back to you. They can't do that today anymore. And if he saw the sign lit during the day as he passed by, he would come in and deliver the prescriptions for the pharmacy that were there. 
And so after three o'clock, that became my job on a bicycle. Yeah, it was very interesting. We made a lot of extemporaneous uh, drugs. We made our own APCs, which was aspirin, phenacetin, caffeine, and 15 and 30 milligrams of codeine. Cough medicines were always more or less compounded. They were not poured out of a bottle. It was usually a narcotic like codeine or ammonium chloride and an antihistamine. I remember chiding John Renneman, the pharmacist, how he could only get 95 cents for a four-ounce mixture of this compound. I thought he was being very, very frugal, that he should raise it to a dollar and a quarter. <laughs> right. That would, have made, that, was a big, that would have made a big difference in the right. margins. <laughs> we, made, we made suppositories, vaginal and rectal, and we worked in the refrigerator. Actually, we opened the refrigerator door because we were working with cocoa butter, which would melt very quickly. So we had to work in a cold, cold atmosphere. What else? We made a lot of lotions, emulsions. We still compounded them. What else can I say? So very different than the current day where everything is prepackaged and pre-made and right. comes in a bottle. Right. You guys had to and they had make the, everything. They had their special formulas. Uh, they had me do the cellar all over. I built shelves in the cellar and they had lots of medications down there. In fact, I found a three quarters of a gallon of turpenhydrate and heroin. Hmm, that's an interesting combination. That's right. And it was used more before the 1916 Narcotic Act. I guess it was laying there a long time. They also had a brick of heroin. I don't know how big it was, but they kept it in the safety deposit bank next door. They finally turned it into uh, the feds, uh, narcotics after the war. Uh, the heroin and turpenhydrate, we dumped down the drain because they were never going to use it again. So the whole experience was great. Tell me in your view, how does the pharmacy changed from kind of what it is today to what it was back then? You mentioned to me in the past how, especially during the depression, certain individuals maybe couldn't afford healthcare or whatever. And the pharmacist really became the local, you know, what we might call today physician assistant or nurse practitioner or, you know, but they became the community medical person who was helping out those who were less fortunate. You're absolutely right. Actually, I guess nurse practitioner or is a, is a good term. Yes. People didn't want to pay the fee for a doctor. This was coming right out of the depression years. And uh, with simple things, they would come into the store, constipation, upset stomach. I always remember constipation was treated with a shot of cascara sagrada, like a whiskey shot, in a tumbler of milk of magnesia. Now, we didn't, we didn't make that, but we sold the cascara sagrada and, you know, gave the instructions. Yellow oxide of mercury was for styes. We sold that over the counter when they came in with eye problems. Pepto-Bismol over ice and drink uh, had with a straw was the uh, remedy for upset stomach. I can recall being a you know young man working in what was later the pharmacy that you had and you owned. And customer would come in and ask if they could talk to the doc. And I remember saying, you know, who's the, you know, who's the doc? And they would point to you. And then I would 
come back and tell you this gentleman or a woman would like to talk to you and you'd move over to the side of the counter and you'd have a little impromptu consult right there with the people in the store. That's true. And we and, and our time was given freely. In other words, if it took a half hour, it didn't make any difference. You know, no one was under a rush or on the uh, clock. Right. Or felt, you know, we never I don't we always felt that we were doing a sort of a human being service, I guess, a friendly service. And so we gave them whatever knowledge we had, or we even said many times, you know, this is, I think you should go to a doctor. Mm-hmm. This is beyond me. You know, I don't know what you have. And I think that, you know, instead of treating yourself. So in that sense, I guess we were directing people in the right path. Right. Well, and that's as we talk about with the heroes of healthcare, that these are individuals and organizations that are really helping the community. You touched upon earlier, let's go back to, so you were working at Renneman's Pharmacy and that was in Queens, New York. I think we forgot to mention that earlier on in College Point, New York. And then you obviously thought well enough of this that you decided to pursue it in college. Yes. I went to Fordham. It was a four-year course. Actually, I went to a liberal arts college before for a bunch of years, so I was a little late in going to pharmacy school. But by then, the veterans were all coming home. 1945, the war was over, and we had a pharmacist that was in the, fought in the Pacific as a, uh, a pharmacist mate, I guess. And he was, going, he was groomed to take over for one of the brothers in Renneman's. We got very close. He was a very smart gentleman. In fact, he was my best man. And when I got married, he gave a lot to the store and his expertise because of the war and all. Mm-hmm. Yes, I went to Fordham. And after I graduated, I worked for Renneman's. And I finally had an opportunity to help a fellow store owner who worked six years opened his own business and worked six years without a vacation and seven days a week. And I was asked if I could cover for him with my license and a friend of mine who was working for him so he could go to Cuba for his first vacation. And That's a, obviously, that was before Cuba was closed. That was before <laughs> Cuba was closed, yes. And in that association, he, he asked me to come and work for him full time. I, which I, I did because I thought they had enough help now in Renamans with the GI coming home. And so I went with him, and which was a very fortuitous move. He was a bachelor, didn't need the money, lived at home with his mother and sister. So he could pay me a little more than I would usually get. Do you remember what year was that? Well, that was in, the, I would say, the top half of the 50s, maybe 1958. Okay. I worked for him through then, through the 60s. In the early 70s, he sort of gave me an idea of his retirement. And I didn't know whether I wanted to stay in retail or go on perhaps to institutional practice. So I got my master's degree in institutional practice, heavy on pharmacology at St. John's just to have a backup in case I couldn't afford to buy him out. Well, when the time came in 1979, I was able to buy him out through his generosity, but we came to good terms. 
and I took over the store in 1979. 1980, I computerized the store, and from then on, I uh, worked with St. John's. I got to know Sister Jane, who was in my institutional practice class, and she started an apprentice program at St. John's, which I took over the retail end of the apprentice program at St. John's. So when you took over what I now remember as Salzman Chemists, that's when I grew up. I remember that most vividly. Obviously, that's when I was born and as a young man came to the store from time to time. But when you think back to your days at Salzman Chemists and that community, how was Salzman Chemists a part of the community? How did you guys both give back? We talked a little bit about kind of the sideline dock things, but how did you see Salzman Chemists really kind of being part of the community? Well, we were very close to the community. Across the way from us was what was called Parkway Village or UN Village. They were all the employees of the United Nations. When United Nations got more settled, some of the uh, upper echelon moved out to Lake Success. But the workers, the, the lawyers, engineers, scientists, all stayed in Parkway Village. And we became very close to the community. In fact, Roy Wilkins was NAACP was over there. Yeah, big civil rights leader. Mm -hmm. Big civil rights leader at the time. You saw him with President uh, Johnson and uh, Martin Luther King and the newsreels. There was a morning. Uh, I got to know Mr. Wilkins very well and Matilda, his, his wife. And I saw him waiting at the bus stop, which was right on my, the corner of Salzman Chemist. And I went out to say good morning. And he never said a word, but he just handed me the magazine that he was reading. And it was Time Magazine with his face on the cover. Oh, wow. So there he was leaning against the telephone pole waiting for a bus. And he was the main photo on Time, Time. Magazine. On the cover of Time, Time, magazine, Time magazine and, and, and <laughs> still taking the bus. <laughs> right, still taking the bus into the city. I got to know a little bit about some of the big, I mean, the interesting people at, at the UN and uh I, I participated in their activities. I contributed money, basically, and advertisement, you know, in our store and all for the things that they were interested in and, and doing. I also was able, at that time, there was a, well, there was, it still is in existence, but it was much bigger, Creedmoor, a mental institution on Long Island. And they used to have an outpatient department where they gave out medications or even did injections for uh, mental patients. Somewhere along the line, the hospital realized that most of these people were on Medicaid, and they decided that they would not pay for these medicines when Medicaid should be paying for them. So they stopped the process of giving them medications and gave them prescriptions instead. So let me stop you there. Help me understand the difference between what the medications were or the prescriptions. Well, these were anti-psychotic drugs. Right. But they actually gave them, put the medicine in their hand and, oh, they administered and made it. sure they took them. Okay. And if it was an injection, they gave them an injection. But they felt that Medicaid should pay for that 
rather than them giving that to them. And so when Medicaid said they were going to stop paying for that, they no, decided... No, Medicaid did take over the paying for that. Oh, okay. But what happened is they gave these patients prescriptions instead of giving them the medicine. So they had to go get go the prescription to filled. to a pharmacy. I applied for the position to take care of the satellites, the outpatient departments, because I had two friends who worked as pharmacists in Creedmoor, and they told me what was going on, and they told said that I should apply to take care of the outpatient department. They did not give it to me because they thought it was a conflict of interest, because these two people were friends of mine. Creedmoor did not give it to me. Okay. But after a year, I got a telephone call from Creedmoor and asked if I was still interested in doing that because of compliance. These people were taking the prescriptions to the pharmacy, and the pharmacy said they had to come back because some of them were very expensive, and they didn't carry them, so they had to order them. But nobody came. They forgot to come back and get their medicine. And was that because of a part of their challenges of their their because of, because their, of their mental because illness of their condition right exactly so they Creedmoor found out that a lot of patients were coming back to their visits without their medications okay which be, certainly became a big problem now I passed Creedmoor every morning and every night going back and forth to work and I said I would certainly be very happy to pick up the prescriptions in the morning and deliver them in the evening so they could have complete compliance. They could have the medicine in the outpatient department. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a very wise move because it turned into a very interesting because I had a little pharmacology background and I could sit in on some of the work sessions between doctors and attendants, you know, and offer whatever knowledge I had about the medications and the different prescriptions. Mm -hmm. So that became another interesting part of uh, my pharmacy career. Let's see what else. What are some of the, when you think back to your, you know, probably whichever the years, what are kind of a couple of funnier anecdotal stories that might come to mind of things that happened either in the store at Renamins or your years at Salzman chemists? (laughs) Well, In those days, going way back, people made their own eye solutions, which out of boric acid. You could buy boric acid pre-made, but it should have, boric acid should really have been used fresh. So we recommended that people made their own fresh boric acid solution. And what is boric acid? How do you make that? Well, you boil water, you bring water to a, a boil, add boric acid, which had a solubility, which was set, and you could just let that set and that solution would make its own strength of boric acid that was usable. Okay. And then you could decant that off and have your fresh boric acid solution. But of course, you needed a dropper to put the boric acid into your eyes or an eye cup. Mm-hmm. Most people opted for a dropper. So in those days, they had droppers that had a curved beveled edge. And they would come in and say, I need a dropper. And I would pick up a guy would say, is it for the right or left eye? And they looked at me and said, I didn't know there was 
different droppers. So I would pick up the bevel dropper and have the bevel turn to the left and say, this is for the left eye. Then I would bend over and pick up the same dropper and bevel to the right and say, this is for the right eye. <laughs> well, which was my, my little sense of humor. But I got a big kick out of that. <laughs> and of Did course, they, they never knew there was droppers for left or right eyes, but they learned something. Did they ever ask that they needed one for both? And did you sell them both of them? <laughs> then I confessed and said, you really can use them both. Okay, both okay. Right. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Well, it was fun working. The fellow who came out from the South Pacific and was a pharmacist and was going to take over from one of the brothers used to try and make me laugh all the time when I was seriously talking to a customer or a patient. And he used to stand in the stairway by going down the stairs in the store with an enema bag on his head. (laughs) (laughs) When I looked up... What could I do but laugh, right? Right. (laughs) Which was a little embarrassing at times. But he brought a lot of of sophistication to to the pharmacy, to the store. So these are amusing anecdotes. In in, uh, Salzman Chemists, I had a lot of, as you can understand, European and Asian customers. And one night I got a prescription for a vaginal cream, a... uh, Vaginal douche and a, uh, not an enema bag, but a douche bag, you know, to do all this. And the instructions, I could read the prescriptions, but there was a fourth instructions and it said, please instruct patient on use. Not something you really wanted to do. <laughs> and she didn't understand English. Oh, <laughs> made it even, even made it more challenging. <laughs> Try that for a challenge. Yeah. And the funny thing is that. I always found out that when they didn't understand me, I, t- I kept talking louder, right. thinking that they would that they would understand me. Yeah, but yeah, there were many, very many funny incidents. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing those stories with me. I I recall again being your son and being at a young age, and you bringing me into the store, and it was either the grab a piece of candy was always a big highlight. I think I remember you didn't sell baseball cards. That was always a big disappointment because I always wanted baseball cards. You know, I remember my youth growing up in the pharmacy and it was a place where you learned a lot about not only human anatomy, but the birds and the bees and all sorts of different things that you were exposed to as a young man there. But it also taught me customer service skills and taking care of the customers as they came in. So I wanted to thank you for being part of this first initial show, The Heroes of Healthcare. As we talked in our introductory episode, we're going to have lots of exciting guests on the show from all different walks and different areas within the healthcare, but certainly pharmacists are part of that healthcare world. And and as we're going to have on each episode, these are people who are doing heroic things in the healthcare world. I ask you to be the first one because you were my hero. I was very fortunate to have you and mom and you guys set great examples for us, both with hard work, integrity, doing doing the right things, and always with a a dry wit, which I appreciate as well. But as I'm going to close each of these episodes with each of the other guests, my question to you is, who was your hero, either when you were growing up or now? 
Well, I, I had two heroes. My uh, my uncle Herman, my mother and father were divorced and we went and lived with my grandparents and my mother's brother. I thought he was a, I guess I have a few people that I, I admire him for different reasons. <laughs> I had a sanitation worker work for me who I relied on a great deal who came with me in... He worked Sol with you in Salzman and Chemist. Salzman Chemist, right. yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always thought that if I were president of the United States, I would have Joe come with me all the time and just and get was, his opinion. And it wasn't Joe Biden. And it wasn't Joe Biden. No. <laughs> Joe, no. Joe Carasia. <laughs> Joe right. Carasia, that's right. And I guess my best man, Ray, who was came home from the service, I felt very, I thought he was a brilliant man too. So, yeah, I would say, you know, I didn't, I don't know if I, if they changed my life or not, but there were three ordinary people who I thought perhaps could have done better or should have done better. And I always thought that they, they had a lot on the ball. That's great. So they three guys who made a difference in your life right. and other people's and lives. And my later life, right. Mm -hmm. And as a, well... My uncle was uh, right from the beginning, but uh, Joe and Ray came later on after the war and all. Great. Well, thanks for being part of this. Thanks for being part of my life and part of this show. Thank you all for listening and joining in. We're excited to see where the show is going to go. We've got some exciting guests already booked up, and we're looking forward to having them continue to contribute to this podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out on our website. You can reach us at heroesofhealthcarepodcast.com. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn at Ted W-E-Y-N on LinkedIn. And thanks for joining us. And we look forward to coming back to you with the next show coming up soon. Bye now. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.